Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, you're very welcome to The Tonight Show. A day of tragedy for four families. Spanish police arrest an Irish man following the death of a woman at a hotel in Salou. Obviously, the Spanish authorities are investigating this and uh, we will offer consular assistance to the families. A body is discovered in Donegal as part of the investigation into an alleged assault in the Schlieve League area. And tributes after two Irish students from the same school die in separate incidents in Greece. They both had just finished their leaving cert. And later we discuss the continuing crisis at RTE, so do join our conversation online with your comments and your questions, it's hashtag tonight, VMTV. Tonight, an Irish man has been arrested in connection with the murder of a woman in Spain. The 30-year-old was arrested last night after the woman was discovered at a hotel in Salou. Police say they were alerted to the incident by hotel staff and found the woman lying on the floor in a corridor. Today, the Tonistra spoke about the incident. I think it's very shocking uh, that an Irish woman has met such a violent death. Obviously, the Spanish authorities are investigating this and uh, we will offer consular assistance to the families uh, in, involved here. Um, but uh, suffice to say that um, it, it's a further example of continuing violence against women. Uh, and that is very, very shocking uh, in itself. And um, our thoughts go to the, the families of that young woman. Here at home, Gardaí have discovered a body as part of their investigation into an alleged assault in Donegal. Reports of the assault led to a major search of the Sleeve League area last week. Our reporter Paul Quinn is in Donegal for us this evening. Paul, what more can you tell us? Yeah, Kira. so this investigation was launched just over a week ago now after Garthi got reports of a serious assault in the Schlieve League, uh, Killy Beggs area. Um, sometime between the afternoon of Saturday the 24th of June and the following Sunday evening and a major multi-agency operation was launched involving the Garthi, the Coast Guard Rescue 118 helicopter and the Donegal Mountain Search and Rescue team. A public access to the area was sealed off. Now, as part of this investigation, Investigation as this was going on last week. Gardaí arrested two people, a man in his 30s and a woman in her 20s. They were held for questioning for uh, two days, but they were released without charge. Gardaí also uh, sealed off a house in the Killybegs area. That was searched and a forensic uh, technical exam carried out there. And they also went to Letterkenny District Court last week and got um, a, a search warrant and seized a car. 
uh, which we understand contained blood stains, and that was forensically uh, analysed as well. Gardaí trying to piece together uh, exactly what had gone on. But that major search operation taking place all of last week, at some stages it was more intense than others. Of course, the weather also uh, played a part. But then earlier this morning, uh, in the early hours of this morning, uh, Gardaí confirmed that they, along with the Coast Guard, had recovered a body uh, from the water at Schlieve League. Now, the remains taken to Letterkenny University Hospital and tomorrow a post-mortem examination will be carried out. And I understand that DNA testing is also being used to confirm uh, the exact identity. So all eyes, I suppose, on that post-mortem result tomorrow and from there, the guards, I imagine, will decide where to take this investigation. I happen to know this area very well, Paul. It's a beautiful, picturesque area of Donegal. Lots of very small, quiet communities there. How have they reacted to this? I think since news of this um, alleged assault first broke, there's been a lot of talk. There has been a lot of rumours, a lot of speculation. Garthi remaining very tight-lipped over the last week about exactly what's happening and the various strands to this investigation in connection with those arrests and obviously the search uh, for um, a, a missing person. Now, we understand that that search was for a man in his 60s who was from Northern Ireland and was seen socialising in the Killybegs area at the weekend of the 24th and the 25th. But yeah, this is a hugely popular uh, tourist attraction. It's the highest sea cliffs in Europe, some 600 metres above uh, the sea and looks right out onto Sligo, Leitrim, Mayo, out onto the Atlantic. And even when we were there last week uh, covering this story, an awful lot of tourists were driving up hoping to get access to the cliffs. But of course, access uh, was uh, restricted until uh, yesterday. As you say, all eyes on that post-mortem examination were uh, hoping to get a further update once that has been completed. And that will really determine the course of this investigation and whether indeed it is upgraded to perhaps a murder inquiry. Okay, Paul Quinn, I appreciate you bringing us that update. Well, yesterday evening, St Michael's College in Dublin was struck with a double tragedy as two of its recently graduated students, Max Wall and Andrew O'Donnell, who recently sat their leaving cert, died in separate incidents while on the Greek island of Eos. Well, joining us is Tom McCormick, past president of St Michael's College Union. And I do appreciate you speaking to us this evening. The Tanisha described it as the most traumatic news and the most awful news that any parent could hear. I'm wondering how the school community, the teachers, the pupils there are feeling this evening. Uh, immense sadness and uh, shock still. Uh, some of the boys have arrived home this evening to Dublin Airport. Um, the school today had the Book of Condolence open early. They uh, had a number of teachers on hand, and even yesterday some of them were on hand electronically for some of the boys to contact their favourite teacher, so to speak, for counselling. And um, it's just a horrendous a uh, few days for St. Michael's College, only first leaving certain 1976, a relatively young school, and then for um, poor Andrew to uh, get lost on Friday night and to be only discovered on Sunday, and then Max to fall in uh, on, on a few hours later and also pass away in hospital. Uh, it was just um, horrendous. But um, the Parents Association have flew out with some of the parents uh, to Athens on yesterday. Um and uh, they're doing the best to give as much solace and comfort as they can to the parents out there. And as I say, the boys uh, have begun to um, been able to get flights back home. 
to their parents and tomorrow in St. Michael's as today, the Book of Condolences will be open. The um, reception room is open so uh, parents can uh, meet and greet. A separate room is available to the boys to meet and greet and if needs be. And obviously there will be some church services tomorrow and Wednesday at 12 noon and 6 p.m. And the Book of Condolences is open, but obviously we would ask for some privacy for the boys to um, grieve in um, semi-private conditions on their own school turf. Uh, really appreciate the um, the role that the media has played in getting the message out there over the last few days. But for the next couple of days, I think we'd like to have a bit of privacy for the for the particularly for the boys themselves and for all the other uh, schools that have been affected by this tragedy, uh, both um, out in Greece and some of the girls and boys that were out there have also flown home. And uh, obviously, nationwide sympathy and support for St Michael's from government ministers, senators. Uh, TDs, uh, councillors, different schools from all over the country. And that's very, very much appreciated. It's, it's a horrendous couple of days behind us and a horrendous time ahead of us. But uh, it's a very tightly knit community. And um, step by step, we'll um, make sure that everybody gets every support they can at this dreadful time. So, Tom, the community very much trying to gather around all of those uh, affected by the story. And I'm sure all of their teachers there who work so hard to invest in these young boys and bring them to the point where they do their leave insert and then head off to celebrate after all the hard work has been done. It sounds like they had very bright futures ahead of them. Two, two wonderful boys with bright futures um, on and off, uh sports fields and uh, things like that. And obviously academically um, with the CAO and all the other uh, work career choice that they should have had, uh, but unfortunately taken away from them. So, uh, but very bright boys and uh, very close knit class. Um, a lot of community work that they've done before. Some of them go to Brazil on um, charity trips from the school, etc. So they really are um, a very tight knit community and our hearts have gone out to them and everyone involved. And uh, it'll be um, another sad day for St. Michael's tomorrow, but the boys are coming home and uh, we'll be there to give them every support they can. All right, Tom McCormick, um, I appreciate you speaking to us this evening and our sympathies go out to sure. everybody affected by this awful tragedy. Now onto something else, the RTE secret payment scandal that dominated headlines and resulted in four separate investigations into the national broadcaster. Many are now asking if a major restructuring of the organisation could be the only way forward. Well, here to discuss this further is Minister of State, Jack Chambers, Labour media spokesperson, Marie Sherlock, and journalist with the Irish Independent, Sinead Ryan, and on Skype, we're joined by media researcher Mark Cullinan. You're all very welcome to the programme. Uh, Sinead, this is running into its third week now, mm. this story. It started up very much as a row over payments made to um, Ryan Tuberty, but it's evolved, really, hasn't it, into a much bigger debate about the function and about the future of our public service broadcaster. Well, it has, and I think it had to, um, because Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly and all that slush fund nonsense is, is kind of one aspect and a very important aspect of this, but it's actually just a symptom of the wider problem because RTE is run as both a commercial and a public service. Now, you see, it, even though it's always been the case, I think therein lies the, the problem with it uh, from the get-go because 
you have executives who are and, and, and producers trying to make content that is commercially uh, sellable, and most of the income comes from that. But at the same time, this, you know, um, impartial news uh, broadcast and then, uh, you know, worthy but dull programming that maybe nobody will watch. Uh, and it's always going to be a dilemma for them. So the funding model has to fundamentally change. And I think we have to look to other countries that have a public service broadcast, PBS, or, you know, any most state organisations, most states have them. Uh, and the funding, unfortunately, the unpalatable truth is it is going to have to come from either a, a mixture of a licence fee uh, and exchequer funding. I think we have to stop this idea of advertising, of sponsors, um, of, of all the stuff that gets in the way of um, what, it, what we need it to be. But that involves really hard decisions. And I'm not sure it's a conversation from a political perspective that anybody wants to have right now. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see what the reviews bring up, uh, both the external audit review, which will give us the maths on it, the numbers on it, and then this other look back that the, the government is doing and trying to get a step forward for it. I suppose I, you will come to Jack Chambers in a moment on this. Politicians mightn't have an appetite for it. Do RTE have an appetite for well, it? RTE don't get the choice anymore, I'm afraid. I don't think they have the luxury of hoping things could have worked out better. Uh, now, that is not to say that, like, we have had to admire the journalists and the ordinary workers in RT who have gone over and above, uh, both to keep this story in the news, but interrogate it in a very impartial manner. And I, and I think nobody can dispute that. I mean, they are absolutely livid with this. So you're talking about a very small number of people at the top who have permeated this set of affairs and allowed it to propagate. Whereas the vast majority of people, uh, we know that that has not been the case. So, so let's give the kudos where they're due. Uh, but, you know, RTE as an organisation does uh, not have the luxury any longer of hoping that it could all work out differently. I think it should and will be taken out of their hands and we need to do something entirely different from here on in. Okay, I just want to go to uh, Mark Cullinan because I know you've done a lot of research into this idea of public service broadcasting. Do you also agree with this idea that it needs to be split now? There's a public service arm and there's a commercial side and it goes somewhere else. Yeah, well, first of all, I believe um, there is a, an overdue need for a big debate on what, what, on what RT's future looks like um, <clears throat> in the 21st century. I think we haven't really had that, that conversation about functions and values. We've talked a lot about license fee models, broadcasting charges, uh, and, um, and certainly we can learn from other countries and how we approach that. Um, but what's most important is that discussion is, is had. I think one thing is certainly this, the, the events of the last number of weeks certainly have... Um, blown up is what really was a, a prevailing consensus in, in government policy circles, even broadcasting circles, that the commercial imperative that was built into RTE at its foundation um, was actually a compromise. This was a compromise model. Um, it's the, the conventional wisdom has been that this commercial imperative it forces RTE to be close and responsive to its audiences. Uh, and that and that you know we've had director generals like Noel Curran who have described this this tension as a good one. But I think what we see here um, in the current controversy is an example of where it can all go wrong uh, in a most extreme way, uh, where the, the star system um, of broadcasters, which we're all talking about now, is one that is in service to a commercial model where the, 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 
where the need to drive major audiences to programs um, it creates a, an aversion to risk, an aversion to trying new voices, an aversion to putting on fresh fresh faces behind and in front. Yeah, I suppose a lot of people, microphone. sorry to cut across you, Mark, but a lot of people will be wondering, including I'm imagining a lot of people in RTE, what does that look like? What does a public service broadcaster with a strict public service remit actually look like in 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 practical terms? Yeah. Well, that strict remit, uh, the risk is that we go down that road where, where, where we have a diminished RTE, which, um, as, as Sinead said, they're worthy but dull programming that may, perhaps isn't very popular. And I think that's probably the big risk of this moment, where after a decade of, of stasis and prevarication uh, and, and, and neglecting RTE, we're now going to suddenly institute on a dime dramatic changes to what this model is. And I think what, what the people, in, what the staff in RT want and what the public really desire is, um, and surveys and that has been shown, a full service public broadcaster which shows a variety of content. There is public backing for that. And I think a reformed model could A, hand over power in one way to an audience, to, uh, offering them much greater opportunities uh, to participate in, in broadcasting on the air and in governance. Okay. But also it would give the staff of RT, who we've heard so much from over the last number of weeks, voicing their own long-term grievances about what has gone on in RT regarding employment practices and the impact of cuts. A more empowered RT, an independent RT, which also puts uh, its staff uh, behind the wheel and, right. and it empowers them to have a greater say in the, the running of their own organisation. OK, let me put some of this to uh, our politicians because I have Jack Chambers here in studio. So, look, the Mail on Sunday reported yesterday that the government was considering uh, splitting RTE from the public service to the commercial functions. Is this something you would rule out? Well, look, just to say what, what we are doing, um, we're having a full governance and culture review which Minister Martin has outlined and in parallel to that appointing an external independent auditor uh, to really get to the bottom of the, the questions that weren't answered last week. Um, we had serious dysfunction and drip feed from senior management in RTE, a betrayal to the staff and a betrayal to the wider public um, and I think that minority at the top uh, have really undermined the trust uh, in RTE and in public service broadcasting but we have to make sure that we protect uh, public service broadcasting and mm. protect that for the future in the context of a disinformation and uh, and if you look at the media landscape internationally uh, we need to protect that but there needs to be trust built within that so I think the first steps in this are about governance, culture, transparency, the questions that the public want answered need to be answered in the coming period and um, but we have to uh, examine. But what about this idea that RDE would be entirely funded by public money? Look We've said we're, we're pausing those questions around licence fee reform and around public money. What we want to do in the immediate term is to, to, is to deal with the issues around transparency, governance and culture. Is that what Sinead's saying, though, that no politician the... wants to go near this well, well, right no, now? Just as well, you well, I, flagged I don't think the public... Uh, I, I, think, I think it would be the wrong decision to, uh, to put... Uh, public money into RTE when you have the crisis that has been created um, that we've seen in the last week. The public want answers, uh, they want transparency and they want trust to be restored. You mean additional restored. public money because that public money from the licence is still going into Oh yeah, RTE. no, that's what I mean. I mean additional, of course, that's, that's, what, I, that's what I'm referencing. Um, so I think we, the immediate steps are, are there's be a, a, a review around culture and governance set out by Minister Martin. 
an external auditor to bring transparency to all the issues that have been raised and the barter account and other issues for the last number of years. Yeah, but and just that, back to that, that will set the basis around uh, what the framework for the future will be. Like when you examine governance, governance is very much connected to structure within any organisation. Um, and I think government will have to assess that when we get the feedback from the external governance review, which will be undertaken. But would you accept, I suppose, what Mark was saying and what um, Sinead was saying, that the real difficulties that we've seen emerge this week, that part of those have emerged because it has this public sector and this commercial well, I, arm. So I will ask you can, again, do you think it should just we, be funded by we, public money? We shouldn't just simplify it like that, in that the uh, there wasn't transparency around the commercial dealings uh, when it came to senior management, and we haven't gotten answers around those matters. So if, if people are transparent, open and clear with information, uh, then then, you know, then we would have a, a working between public service media and the commercial aspects. But I think these are open questions that, okay. that, that, that need, to be, need, to be, need to be assessed and responded to when we have the governance and culture okay. review. Just but to be I, clear, but, so it seems to be what you're saying here is if there had been clarity, transparency um, and perhaps better corporate governance in RTE, you would have no issue with that commercial side. Well, I, I think we, we have to get, we have to see what the, uh, we have to have a root and branch review of, as I said, of all the governance aspects. And I think that's a, a, I'm very much open to some of the suggestions that have been referenced by the two other panelists on the show. Um, but I think we, we, you know, we need to get to the bottom of the, the current mm -hmm. crisis and at that point make decisions on the on the wider framework for the future. Okay, and I'm open about that. But what I want to do to make sure is that we. Uh, we, ordinary workers shouldn't pay for the mistakes of people at the top of an organisation. Public service broadcasting needs to be maintained and trust uh, needs to be restored. And it's important in, in this whole process that we don't lose sight of that. OK, what about questions like a salary cap, a salary cap of 176,000 in RTE? Well, look, I, I think uh, that that's part of the... I mean, I think that will depend on the, the wider framework we have, whether in terms of public service broadcasting and, uh, and a commercial arm. Um, but I, I think... You know, many of the public feel people are, are overpaid, and um, but it is that's that would be part of the wider context. That's, that's do you think? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. They're overpaid? I think, I think that's what the, I think some are, absolutely. Anybody in particular? I'm not going to get into personalising but, this. But is it, you're talking about the on-airs, is it? The on-air people? I think some people are, are overpaid. But I think we need to be careful as well that politicians, we need to make sure there's a, a separation between um, public service uh, broadcasting um, and the political system. And, that, and, that, and we, need to, we need to protect that balance in the context of governance so that the, so that pub, the independent uh, 
side of public service media can do its job properly. Okay, um, Marie Sherlock, what's Labour's position on this? Well, well, well I think, and, and, and with respect to the Minister, I think it'd be a very serious mistake to just treat this as a kind of a secret payments scandal and then we all move on. Like there was, no, but, 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 I, but, I, but I think the point is that, you know, there's a deeper issue here, right? There was a, a collapse in corporate governance that absolutely needs to be investigated. But we need to understand the reasons behind it. And when you look at how RTE has operated, right, where we have an, an agent contractor type model. So these are the presenters who are on our screens, on our airwaves for many, many years, yet they're at an arm's length, they're, at a they're, they're employed as contractors, they have agents negotiating their wages, and then of course they're leading to sordid deals for their secret payments. Okay, so just back need, to the so, idea though, just because we're trying so, to move the conversation but, but, but the key on this thing week, Michelle, can I ask you, no, should RTE be publicly funded in uh, its entirety? Uh, What's uh, Labour's position? Absolutely. So, so, so I think now that conversation needs to take place. Ireland is really unusual and RT is really unusual in that 45% of its revenues come from commercial um, sponsorship and advertising. So I, just, the, not, so, I don't have any so, clarity on what Labour's position no, no, is. I, no, what I'm saying is I actually think uh, my preference would be to move to a fully funded model, right? But I don't underestimate for a moment the difficulties associated with that. Like we're talking about 150 million euros that has to come from the Exchequer or come from somewhere else. So I think the first thing is we see that there, so that we, we understand that the EU average in terms of commercial funding for, for public broadcasters is on about 18%. And yet we know it's almost half here in Ireland. So number one, that needs to change. But number two, right, we need to look at the culture of how we've treated some workers like gods within RTEs, uh, within RT, and then other workers are treated extremely poorly. Like we, okay, we, so we, there has been some questions, it was reported yesterday, 2FM to be sold potentially, the salary cap of 176,000 and 400 workers to be made redundant. Are you saying absolutely this should not happen? Well, well, well the first thing is we need to stop that frenzy of speculation, right? Because I think it is really unhelpful that on one hand, the government is saying we can't have a conversation about the, the future financing of RT. And the second hand then, RT are expected to continue with restructuring and, and all that to make do with the massive deficit that it is facing this year. Like ultimately, the point we're having these conversations is to have a stronger and fairer and better RT at the end of all this. Yeah. We need public service broadcaster. And, but and, we need and to know what it's going to look we like. We do. And, 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 the, and the important thing here, there's a lot of talk about, about splitting RT. Well, I would have to say to people, yes, people think about current affairs as being at the core of RT. Mm. But what about sport? What about music? What about arts? They're all vital. RT plays a huge role mm. at the ecosystem in terms of, so, of, of generating music and arts and, and, and drama in this country. So we need to include them in the conversation. Okay, Sinead, what are the, some of the unpalatable decisions that government might have to make? Well, if you go down the public funding model, you certainly don't have to top up RT to the current extent that it has been topped up because you are taking out a whole chunk of jobs that have a commercial focus on them. The head of commercial, the head of this, the head of agents, the head of liaising with all these advertisers. Uh, if you strip back, I, I don't know what RT has planned, 2FM, some of the digital channels, I've no idea, but, but something has to go and be stripped back. The orchestra has now moved to the National Concert Hall. That was a good move. Uh, they can't keep flogging off land in Donnybrook. So what so you're going to be left there's, with... There's tough, unpalatable yes, decisions because one, one of those decisions is... Where do you peg salaries? Now, RT will have said all along that the salaries that are paid even to the on-air talent is minuscule in the grand scheme of things. That's always been their line. And that word but, talent's gone but, to the dustbin. Yes, but the problem is, where is it pegged? So you either peg it to a civil servant's salary. We 
we, we all know what Marie mm. earns. We all know what Jack earns. It's publicly available information. And in fairness, um, we all know what the top 10% are. And we all know what, the, know what the top and that's 100 are too. Yeah, and we're, going to, we're hopefully about to find that out after, after the, the um, committee meetings that have been held. So if you were going to do that, then you can start looking at it and say, well, we are no longer bidding against ourselves, mm. as Shuni Rahala said. They are now pegging it against either the open market out there. So that would be the likes of you, Kira. I have a radio programme, you have a television programme, so I presume the RT salaries will be pitched uh, alongside other commercial uh, presenters that are out there, uh, I would imagine. And, and that means that you're dealing with the reality of the market. And if some of them up and leave, well then so be it. Welcome to life. That's what happens. What RT will be left with are the best presenters they can afford. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to say that, like, you know, it's it's 30 years since Century Radio came in the scene in Ireland and we've seen only two major defections from RTE. So, again, you know, when I asked that question of Shuni Rahalik last week about that culture of effectively bending over backwards to try and retain talent when, you know, they literally had nowhere else to go, like the BBC, you know, are paying millions. RT would never be able to compete with that. But I think there's an important point, though, well, about... Across the entire sector, I'd say the traffic is one way to not just presenters. Oh, of course it is. But, 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 but I think... And, and that touches an important point now that, yes, I think, like, and, and the NUJ and SIPTU for years have called for a, a cap on earnings within RT for the highest presenters. But if you look at the the, 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 the researchers, the producers, the camera crew, the, all the other workers in RTE, there's so many of them that are still in freelance contracts. We still okay. have bogus self-employment. So those uh, work situations have to be resolved as well. And, and I think that cannot be lost in the conversation. OK, look, we're going to leave that there for now, but we will get back to it, I am sure. My thanks to Mark for joining us. My panel is going to be staying with me. And after the break, we're going to be discussing why Taylor Swift fans have accused Dublin hotels once again of price gouging. You're very welcome back. Now, have Dublin hotels drawn the ire of the Swifties? That's Taylor Swift fans to you and me. Multiple people have claimed that bookings they made to coincide with Taylor Swift's highly anticipated show in Dublin have been cancelled. Well, I caught up with one of those fans, Aoife Chung, earlier to get her story. Yeah, so she announced... um her tour on Instagram and within literally five minutes I had somewhere booked uh, for accommodation um, so that was on like the 20th of June and yesterday um, they messaged me just to say that they can no longer accommodate me they didn't give me a reason um, so of course I went back to them and I asked them why and they said they have overbooked um, but I feel like there's a definitely a different reason as to why um, they cancelled my booking. Do you mind me asking, what had you paid for the room? Um, I had paid €252. Euro. Well, I hadn't paid. It was free cancellation, but um, I had it reserved for €252. Euro. And they gave you an explanation that said this had been overbooked. Did that come from the hotel themselves or from a booking site? Um, it first came from a booking site because when I called yesterday, none of the reservation team were... Um, in working um, and then I called again this morning and they said that it was the site's fault that um, they had overbooked so both people are blaming both. (laughs) So what are you planning to do? Um, I don't know yet. I haven't booked anything. I'm thinking of maybe going abroad 
Um, I was looking up hotels um, in Spain. Um, I'm getting three nights for the same price of what's been offered in Dublin. So um, that's kind of my next um, idea. I'm not sure yet. I don't have tickets for the gig yet. The tickets hadn't even gone on sale yet. So um, I'll, I'm, I'll see. So just to be clear, you were going to buy a ticket to see her in Dublin. You were going to stay in a Dublin hotel. But now you're thinking it would actually be cheaper to fly yourself to Spain and see her over there and stay in a hotel over there for three nights. Yeah, I was looking into it. Um, prices don't seem that crazy. And just the prices in Dublin right now, you're saying like 400 plus for um, a small room for one night. Um, it's a bit ludicrous. Eva Chung speaking to me there a little bit earlier. Well, the hotel in question has blamed a glitch for the booking cancellation. Jack Chambers, Marie Sherlock and Sinead Ryan have stayed with me to discuss whether fans are in for a cruel summer or if hotels will shake it off. Oh. That's the funds, I promise, before those hefty prices <laughs> next year. Um, look, this isn't the first time, Jack Chambers, we've heard of something happening where people either can't get access to the rooms or when they look to book a room, Prices have quadrupled um, because there's a certain event on at that date. In this instance, it was a booking glitch and, and um, they said that her room was cancelled and she couldn't get the same night next year. What's going on here in the hotel sector? Well, I think the, the action of some of the hotels is a disgrace. I think what, uh, what Aoife Chung has faced uh, is just shocking. And um, look, I think there's obviously clear profiteering going on here uh, from some of the hotels involved. Um, and it's very damaging to the hotels themselves and it's, it will cause wider damage to our tourism and hospitality sector because um, it'll set a very negative perception for our country and our wider uh, economy. Um, and, you know, there's ongoing engagement between Falch Ireland and other you know, departments uh, within government with the whole se hotel sector on, on this very issue. Um, and I have to say it's, it's, it's shocking and, and a disgrace what Aoife and others have faced. I don't believe, you know, some of the excuses coming out of the, of the hotels and uh, it's really damaging. I mean, this short-term profiteering will, will cause wider damage um, to many of the other parts of our local economy that would otherwise benefit if people were here. Um, and we know, you know, the events, sporting events, music events are the cultural lifeblood of towns, villages and cities in our, in our country. And if this is the repeated action of hotels uh, within our economy, uh, we'll see uh, very serious consequences and the, and the perception of Ireland internationally as well. Uh, Marie Sherlock, is there anything that can be done, though, to stop it? Well, um, yeah, no, I agree with, 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 with the jacket. It is an absolute disgrace, and 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 and, and, and sadly is bringing a very negative perception to Dublin. Um, I, I think uh, there's obviously a, a, you know a, a competition issue if if, if 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 hotels are you know like is in a number of hotels are are, are dropping uh, um, bookings like that at, at the same time. But I think secondly as well, like we've had a hospitality sector now that has been pleading for you know VAT reduction. There's been pleading for you know a special, favor, you know a special help treatment, treatment exactly to try and, um, and 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 help their sector, and yet we have this going on. So I think very serious conversations need to take place between government and, and the hotel sector, and certainly from my perspective as well. We know so many of the workers, the vast majority of workers in the hotel sector, are earning the minimum wage, so they're not certainly seeing the benefit of rooms going for you know two fifty, five hundred, or a thousand euros. You know. The, 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 Would you take the special treatment, the, the VAT rate off them? Well, 
for a long time, I think in the Labour Party, in the trade union movement, we've been talking about that we need to make the VAT, uh, the special VAT rate conditional on working conditions within, within, the, within the sector. But I think a broader conversation now needs to happen as to how they're actually conducting themselves. What kind of an image are they portraying for Ireland? And, and ultimately, what kind of value are they providing to, you know, to, to, to tourists? Because it's not just, it can't be just about hotels. It's about, about the broader sector. And, and, and ultimately, there's going to be a negative spin-off. So, OK, but could that VAT rate be made is that the, actually the VAT, something that could the, be done? The VAT rate's going up at the end of August anyway um, for the wider hotel and hospitality sector. So they're not going to get an extension this time? No, we've been very clear about that. And look, many of the hotel representatives were in your programme during COVID uh, where the government provided uh, enormous support and rightly so to the sector to protect and stabilise it during a very difficult period. Um, and I think it's very much... Uh, a very much short-term outlook to see pro hotels profiteering as they are. Yeah, because I'm just very serious. conscious that the last time that they got the extension, um, the government had said they're definitely not oh. going to get the extended VAT rate. It and then up. it took people actually by surprise that they did extend it this time. You're telling me absolutely, categorically not happening this time. Not happening, and that's been, been made very clear by Minister Michael McGrath. And is that because of behaviour like this we're seeing? Well, I think it, it was it, it was a it was a temporary measure to provide a support and stimulus to the wider hospitality sector as we came out of COVID. They did incur a lot of costs, but I have to say, um, when you see a sector operating and profiteering as they are, particularly uh, around concerts and other events, um, I, I think it would be very difficult to reduce it. Uh, if, if there was a an event in the future, what I would say though is to give balance to this, mm -hmm. there are hotels in rural areas that really require this rate. There are restaurants uh, in certain areas. So that's why it, it's, there's a wider context than, than just those profiteering in our cities. Yeah, and it's difficult, isn't it? Because they ultimately all get punished and, and because the, and, of the and, behaviour And, and they're all few. subject to the same rate. That's, that's the operation of that. But it's gone. Um, Sinead, Ryan, the hotel are well within the rights to do this aren't they? They are and uh, even with the introduction of the much strengthened Consumer uh, Act from last year uh, they are still within their rights to do it because there's absolutely nothing illegal about pricing to supply and demand. Um, and, if, and nothing uh, illegal about cancelling your booking once you've made it? No, however it is really really poor practice uh, to do it um, by telling it, it, for the, those properties that say, this is the reason we did it, but here's the actual reason we did it. I, I don't like that at all. Uh, I mean, if somebody hasn't booked, hasn't paid with their booking, and you see, this is the problem because this, the Taylor Swift tickets aren't actually out yet. Nobody's got a ticket yet, okay? My own daughter's registered in three countries. I hope she gets one. I'll never hear the end of it. Um, so they're not actually out yet. So you can understand ordinary kids, consumers and, and people who want to go to this, booking a hotel in the knowledge that I might get a ticket, but I don't have to pay for it because I might not get a ticket and then there's no point in having the hotel. So they're going on websites like hotels.com, booking.com, booking to pay at the, the hotel. Now that makes it extremely easy for a hotel to swoop up all of those bookings and say, well, we actually don't have the money here. So we, there's nothing to reverse. There's nothing to refund. It's a very easy transaction to cancel it due to a glitch in the system or whatever uh, excuse is used and then reprice them at a higher price. Now that I think is despicable. But you, you, you cannot, we, we haven't legislated for that yet. Now, I mean, Pascal Dunn, who's a well-known Swifty, he's going to be, he's probably not going to be looking for a hotel room from his house in Fibsra. But here is an opportunity to wrap 
these uh, these hotels and service providers on the knuckles. And the only way you do that is by hammering them in the budget um, for the bad spirit with which they've entered into this. And it's not just this. Um, now they there won't are say, lots of fairness, other events just, that have done I suppose the same thing. They're not here to defend themselves. The hotel did give an issue or a statement to the Irish Times. They said it was a booking system experience, an operational system error which resulted in significant overbooking of the bedrooms and they apologize so that, well, that's, that's one hotel that i've heard this uh, i've heard this across the board it's even it's happening in france for the rugby world cup as well i spoke to lady on air last week um, and her hotel in nantes was suddenly cancelled out of the blue along with a slew of other people and the and the beds put up at the different thing so the fact that it's not just us and the fact that it's not just taylor swift like this is an ethos it, there's a spirit into which you enter into a contract and agreement with people and i think we need to start looking at that and have a stronger political response then well we'll we'll have a take a look at it and hope something. And, and what could that stronger political response look like? Because Jack Chambers is saying the special VAT rate, that's now gone. Yeah, it is gone and, and I'm glad it's gone and it should be gone. Um, I, I think that uh, in terms Even though of, maybe there are other restaurants and other businesses that perhaps don't yeah, need well, it? Well, in terms of the Consumer Act, I mean, you, you have three elements for any contract. You have an offer and acceptance and consideration. That consideration should be, we have accepted your booking, even though money has not paid or has not transferred hands. I mean, we can strengthen our laws so that once you have accepted a booking, like it shouldn't be always the consumer on the back foot. Even if that particular person had paid the money to the hotel though, if they'd paid, they still could have cancelled no, it. No, exactly. There wouldn't have been a guarantee. But but it just makes it so much more difficult because now there's a big arduous effort that a hotel has to go to or a service provider has to go to because you have to be refunded and that's it has to go on the balance sheet and there's an accounting process and a reversal and all that. Um, like, look, who are the fans here? I, I Look, I don't know, maybe you're both Swifties. I'm, I'm not, I, I must say. These are people maybe who have saved up an awful lot of money over a very long period. Yeah, and a lot of them are very young and people too. Are young people and it's lousy and it's a bad taste for the grown-ups in the room to be managing their business like Yeah, this. Jack Chambers, what about that suggestion from Sinead Ryan there that we do perhaps need to look at strengthening consumer legislation in this area so that they can't just come along and cancel a booking? Well, I think Minister Coveney obviously responsible, uh, is responsible for consumer legislation. I think um, he and, and others, Minister Martin, with responsibility for tourism, will have to engage with the sector and, and review the, the framework that's there if this is repeated practice uh, from hotel operators. Because we think, do hear that a lot from politicians when they come in here about engaging with the sector and yeah, constant I mean, we, engagement we, we with have the sector. Structures, the sector we have, doesn't seem to be... We have structures with, uh, with the hospitality and hotel sector that where there's regular engagement. Falch Ireland have repeatedly reminded the hotel industry uh, not to do what's after happening and and, uh, and I, I think that that's of, of and deep concern. And are they just wider, not listening to the government and has, then? And has wider reputation. And that's, that's why there will have to be serious engagement with the sector on this and, uh, and why... You know, there's, uh, you know, why we're all appalled by what they're after doing, and and the wider reputational damage, damage, but also those that have, as you said, have saved up, um, have put money aside, and they're being ripped off by hotels. Oh, it's right. just not acceptable. Look, we're going to have to leave that there for now, but there's lots more to discuss after this break. You're very welcome back. Jack, Marie and Sinead are still here with me and we're moving on to another 
uh, subject, Ireland being amongst Europe's most stressful countries in new research that looks at the impact of the pandemic and the cost of living crisis across the European continent. We're not at the top, it should be pointed out, Sinead. We are the sixth, apparently, most stressed out nation um, in Europe. Are you stressed by by your life, by your job? Are we a stressed out country, do you think? Isn't everybody stressed about something or other? And sometimes it seems to me the more choice and the more money we have, the more stressed we get about things. Look, I I don't want to kind of totally take a left turn here, but your top stories on the show today, Mm. tragedies, all. Like most of us really would not swap any one or bundle of our own stressors and problems for any one of theirs. So I think sometimes we can use that word and bandy it about and everybody is kind of stressed more out so here and than more another stressed and I, I, I don't really accept that I, I mean I'm, I'm one of those people that is kind of it's a state of mind rather than you know to do with if, if these external circumstances were just perfect or if everybody else did this well I'd be fine I, I don't really hold with that I think you make choices every morning when you get up how you're going to live your day and how you're going to uh, approach life Marie, do you agree with that, that it's actually a choice, that it's a frame of mind? Well, I think the irony is, you know, or the paradox in Ireland is that, you know, we're one of the wealthiest countries in Europe and yet we've over 12,000 people, women, men and children, homeless, 900,000 people waiting 12 months or longer on a waiting list. You know, when you think of people with young children absolutely desperate to try and access services in terms of speech and language therapy, disability services and and, and almost impossible. So I think there's a a lot of people out there who are, you know, uh, can't put a sustainable, affordable roof over their heads, who cannot access timely health care. In my area, we've seen 105 preschool places, you know, clothes and story batter in the past 12 months and people are scrambling to try and find preschool education. So they're all stresses. And I think, you know, we do need to take that seriously in terms of, you know, what, what like notwithstanding our public finances being in an absolutely eye-watering situation that people have, some people have never felt worse off. Yeah, but, and, but and we also serve- should recognise that there's a lot of people who aren't in that position. Oh, too. And we also have lots of positives in this country, uh, including something like Full employment, for example. Well, well, well. Full employment is, is is a particular phrase now that is defined in terms of the number of people who sign on, right? But if you look, there's a whole other group of people who have a disability, who are perhaps are lone parents, who have other you can issues understand going on their the lives. Stress the nation's what you're well, saying. Well, no, but what I'm saying is that there's lots of people who would like to work but cannot work because of the barriers in their lives that they, you know, and, and, and so I think there's lots of people that are stressed. Of course, there's lots of people who are not stressed, and 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 we need to to look at both. But but for me, the priority is that even though we're a really wealthy country, we still have massive, uh, a massive lack of services. Uh, Do you feel stressed on a day-to-day basis? Well, I have three small kids, and to, you know, you don't have to answer that no, question. Well, well, but 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 I think I think that, look, you know, it's not about me, right? But it's about the people that I deal with day in, day out, and they are stressed, right? People who have nineteen hundred euros to spend to try and get accommodation for the, oh, themselves right. and their young daughter in Dublin, and they cannot find it. So Jack, yes, what there's a lot of stress around you out. I think everyone can get uh, various stressors at times, and uh, look, I think everyone listening to or watching this program uh, gets different stressors on, on a daily basis, depending on their own lives. But I would say, as I was looking at the study that was commissioned, commissioned by a CBD oil company um, who purport to 
uh, treat uh, anxiety and a variety of other matters. So I think we need to be very careful when we're looking at uh, research and that it's independent, uh, science, scientifically uh, and uh, verified. And this is a company that's uh, putting out research into all the European countries and purporting to you know, that well, it has ranked, in fairness, it has ranked all European countries. Not it has, but I think we need, we, we need to be very careful when, when we discuss healthcare uh, more generally that we, we're you know, wary of companies that are seeking to promote a particular product. We're talking about a company who's apparently commissioned a survey. What I would say, though, is um, like because of our strong economic management, we are, we are able to make choices on delivering affordable housing for many families, making progress on childcare, addressing the cost of living challenges that are facing many families. Uh, and we want to help them. And that's why in the part, as part of Budget 2024, we want to make progress to improve living standards. So is Budget 2024 what de-stresses you then? Is that what you're saying? No, I, I'd say no matter what we do in Budget 2024, there'll be more to do. But I think it's having that capacity to make the difference uh, through uh, through strong economic okay. management and uh, and look, we we've the same priorities as many other colleagues in in, in delivering. All right. Look, I have to go there. Thank you to all of my guests this evening and you at home for watching. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms and you can also find us on Instagram and TikTok tonight, the MTV. But from all of the late team here, good night. Take care. <laughs>